0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. I'm Sergey. I'm a development manager at Amazon Route 53, and i'll be telling you about how to manage Global traffic with Route 53 traffic flow. We'll have time for questions at the end. Uh, What are we going to talk about? So concepts, defining what, what Traffic management means. I'll introduce you to Route 53 traffic flow. And we'll go into pretty deep detail about what it looks like, how it works. And we'll look at a case study, a real-world example. So what is traffic management? It's really, it's the process of, We're talking about the process of routing clients to servers. And clients are end users or programmatic clients they could be external or internal just components of your own systems and uh, specifically about the types of routing these are not exclusive they can be combined but just the concepts there's load balancing that's the simplest form network proxy to servers service discovery takes a client-side approach so clients learn a set of endpoints and they make the decision of where to connect to. Uh, Then you have CDN, that's a fully managed distribution channel, typically single origin. And DNS level, that's what I'll talk about. That gives you more flexibility than CDN, typically, and you can have multiple origins with the DNS routing. To put things into perspective a little bit, so what are the some typical applications? The one typical progression, uh, I'll show you how growing demand leads to increased level of sophistication. So you can relate that to your own applications. You start with a single server, and well, maybe when your server did this, but today you're probably are using another scaling group, so at least your instance gets replaced. Something happens to it. Eventually, though, you want to be able to support more load and you want more manageability to be able to deploy, take instances out of service, and so forth. So you can move to elastic load balancing, and that already looks better. And if you're outside of AWS, then similar concepts apply. Uh, ELB is elastic, but uh, in the on-premise world, you might be growing beyond a single load balancer and just managing multiple. Then the next step is you might want to get a better isolation model, so higher availability. You go cross-availability zone, and once again, with ELB, this is a pretty picture. It's easy to configure. Uh, You can have instances across your region, different zones. Outside of AWS, similar concept applies. It's a little more complicated. And finally, we arrive at having a global service. So now you're serving a global user base, and these are probably multiple load balancers in different regions, and you're optimizing for latency at this point, Clients across the Internet are connecting to different regions. And uh, that's where traffic management comes in. It's, it's about serving a global user base. By now, it's pretty obvious to anybody on the web or, or mobile that you have to get closer to users, and latency is really important. And in the old days, you maybe would create separate stacks, so separate domain names, maybe separate top-level domain names for different regions, and then you get your clients either redirected or or they just know to go to to their country's website, right? But uh, can DNS do better? And, yeah, it can. I mean, it can take into consideration where people are coming from and what networks they're on, so this this could look better. Uh, I know this is a 300-level talk, but I wanted to really go into what DNS is, and so what do those letters stand for, is the first question, and um, I'm just just joking. Don't be scared. Actually, show of hands, who doesn't know what DNS is? Okay, nobody, or maybe you're shy. I, I get it. Uh, there's There's a great talk by a colleague of mine. You just missed it. It was today, but video will be posted. It's just a good overview of DNS in the cloud and AWS. Uh, why are we talking about DNS for traffic management? Why, why is it so special? Really, the reason it's special is it's the point of entry to your service. So we're always talking about building distributed apps, availability zones, and so forth, and just spreading. But DNS is the one global piece of infrastructure that you have. So it's in the position to recognize geographical locations, recognize client networks, and make intelligent routing decisions based on that. Uh, let's look at the evolution of DNS. If, what does DNS look like for a global service? In the beginning, you have static records. So this is a DNS 1987, nothing much to say. You just define a bunch of records. There's no really no way to route anything, right? <clears throat> Which gets us to dynamic DNS. And in dynamic DNS, you can serve different answers for the same domain name to different users based on some way you want to discriminate the users or distinguish them on them. And that's great because that allows you to optimize user experience, but generally hard to manage. You get a ton of records Maybe that requires automation at this point. Uh, you have to manage these records individually. You have to care about when to update them, update them together. You don't have history, so forth. So, just hard to manage. Which gets us to policy based mode of thinking. So, instead of worrying about the individual records and what you're trying to do, Just think high level. So what you're trying to accomplish and have very low overhead in order to express that in some way in the product and implement it on the DNS level. So let me present you Amazon Route 53 traffic flow. Traffic flow is built around traffic policies. And policy is a version document. It's composed of rules and endpoints And uh, versioning is important because versioning is, is, that's your uh, audit trail as well as very importantly, a way to roll back or roll forward changes. And then traffic policies are applied to actual domain names. So all those rules and endpoints that were defined end up applying to a domain name and being visible on DNS. And you can use the same traffic policy or more than one domain name. So, again, terminology, traffic policy, that's rules that are routing to endpoints, traffic policy record, domain name with an applied specific version of a traffic policy. Let's go through a simple example. So, I'm going to set up DNS routing for a website that's hosted on EC2, and I'm just assuming a bunch of things, that I already have a domain, and I already have resources, the simple stuff. So you'd go to Management Console, Route 53, there's a section, Traffic Flow, and in Traffic Policies, there's a way to create one, which would take you to the editor. And the editor allows you to import the traffic policy (coughs) if you're sharing one, or if you're building one from scratch, then you can just build it inside the editor. And the first decision to make is, what is the DNS type? And then all the magic is actually in the body of the policy itself. So what can go into the body? Ultimately, you're going to get to endpoints. The types of endpoints are either just low level, IP address, or CNAME somewhere else, or more integrated, So there's support for ELB, classic, or application load balancers, S3 website, cloudfront distribution, elastic beanstalk environments. And if you use any of those, then you get health information and you don't have to worry about addresses or addresses changing and so forth. And a quick overview of rules. To connect endpoints, we actually use rules. And we have failover, there's weighted round robin, geolocation, latency. And I'll actually go into each of these later on. Let's continue with the example. Now I went and actually added my endpoint, which is just a single ELB that's hosting this fictitious website. And this, this is now a fully contained policy that can be applied, although it's extremely simple. So to apply it, you actually go and select the domain name. So I just typed in dot dub in a specific hosted zone, and once applied, it becomes a this magical DNS record that executes your policy anytime somebody's asking for it. And uh, you can see here in in this view a summary of everything that's applied. So that's That's the name of the policy. That's the name of the record. And version used is one. So I want to go further with this example, but I'm gonna need to use some rules. So let me give you a quick overview of the basic ones. Failover is pretty simple. This is primary and secondary. So based on the health of primary, users either always go to the primary path or if primary is out, they go to the secondary path. And uh, health could be either inherited or explicitly defined at every level. And weighted, weighted is your round robin across multiple items. This could be used for load balancing, could be used for just managing a fleet, bringing bringing instances in and out, A-B testing, so forth. So in my example, I've added as the first rule a failover rule, and the primary is pointing to the ELB. That was the sole endpoint before, and uh, I expanded this. This is actually selected by default, but I wanted to talk about it for a second. So that little check mark is saying that the health information or the health decision at this level should be made further down the flow which ultimately in this example terminates at the ELB, and ELB provides its own health. And secondary is taken me to an S3 website, which is not great, but better than nothing. At least I can say sorry or something. So once I've created this better version of the policy, it's time to apply it. And this is another important step that's made easy by traffic flow because I just go and edit the existing record and I choose a different version and I can apply it completely atomically. So users will never see any intermediate changes. They will switch from version one to version two based on TTL expiration or when they end up querying and that's, that's the existing policy record um, that I've created previously with version one. So in my example, I didn't really get into the more complex scenarios, and we'll look at one in the case study. So before we get there, I wanted to give you an overview. The geolocation or geo rule, that routes traffic, based on the user's location. And the way we reason about the location is this tuple of continent, country, and subdivision. And it could be as specific as subdivision, which is something like a state within the US, or it could be as general as a continent, which is something like Europe. And geo is used for a variety of scenarios. You can have endpoints with specialized content. Uh, You can use this as a strategy to balance traffic globally between different data centers and different regions. Uh, And you can also, in certain cases, pre-optimize your network link if you're at that level and you care about specific countries going over specific transit and so forth that you have set up. So, under the hood, how does GEO actually work at the DNS level? First step is Route 53 will identify the request. So, who's, who's making the DNS request? And this is what we get is a DNS resolver address. And if the resolver supports it and supplies it, then we get the EDNS0 client subnet. And then we check the geo database for location. And again, location is continent, country, or subdivision. And then find the most specific entry that was defined in the geo rule, most specific healthy entry, I should say, and match the location to it. So, for example, if you've only had an item defined for Europe, but a client is coming from France, they'll still match that provided that it's healthy. Another advanced rule type is latency. And this simply routes users to the closest AWS region based on actual network latency, which does not always correlate with geographical location. And this is just a good default choice for routing between endpoints that are all in the regions. So, it's good to optimize for latency if you don't have other considerations. How does latency work? First step is similar, identify the request. Then route 53 will check its latency database for preference order of all the regions for that client. And then go to the top healthy choice among the items that you've actually defined for your rule in your policy. And if the closest endpoint or the closest path in the traffic flow policy is unhealthy, it will go to the next best choice. Where do we get the latency data from? Amazon runs a large-scale experimentation system, so we're using various web properties and real end users to measure latency to different AWS regions and then we relate this latency data to the DNS resolvers that users came through. And the output is this internal database which maps every IP address that we've seen to this region preference vector of all the regions that AWS has. Uh, Route 53 also provides this useful little tool for reasoning about Distributed user base. This is simple what if testing. So what if a client comes from IPX? What will they see with my record? This works for traffic flow policy records or just regular records. And the easiest way to get there is just in the route 53 hosted zones view. You can select the record that you care to test and there's a test record set button and obviously this is in the api as well so now let's look at a real world example of using traffic flow it's probably no surprise that aws and amazon retail are highly operationally focused organizations and one thing that enabled us have the strong performance that we've had is 24 7 on call and in order for operators to be able to connect they use a VPN that's used to support all of our services and then the issue becomes how to manage endpoints for end users to be able to connect to the VPN this whole thing is a multi-regional highly available obviously service That's a good example. So the challenge, legacy system was built with a bunch of limitations. The main problem was that region selection was done by end users themselves, sort of like that very old example I made in an earlier slide. And this resulted in VPN servers that would get overloaded, would become hotspots, so they're more likely to fail or just get slow. And also, there was no way to handle faults, so faults had to be handled by clients themselves to switch to a healthy server from one that's failing. And if you've ever connected to a VPN, then you know how terrible of a user experience it could be and how important responsiveness is. What uh, did the VPN team do? What, what they've done was they were able to model the desired flow based on the available endpoints that they had, and then take that conceptual model and just straight put it into a traffic policy. Their model was built around this concept. So, first, there's differentiation based on user's country. And by default, the majority of the worldwide traffic could just go to one of the regions so it can go to the second stage which defines a rule for each of the regions however there are there's a short list of countries where there isn't a region yet but that are important for VPN connectivity and those are defined separately as exceptions and the last step is is a round-robin across the actual VPN servers because each location would have at least several. This is just a general good example of a hybrid infrastructure working, so it's not completely in AWS. So what does this policy actually look like? The first step, so it's, again, we're talking about V4 addresses here. First step is a geolocation rule, and it has a default item which is going to take people to the region selection, and it has an item for each of the other countries. And again, we're just kicking the can down the road and saying evaluate target health that will be defined later. Region selection is based on the latency rule, and this defines an item for each of the regions because they're widely deployed. So each of the regions is actually selected and takes you to the right path, which is the final step, server selection. Within a region or within a country, server selection is based on the weighted rule. And a weighted rule can account for different size hosts. So there are a bunch of different weights defined for each of the items. And each of the items corresponds to one of the endpoints. Looking closer at an endpoint, that's what goes into it. There's the weight. And by the way, in this example, the weight's added up to 100. They don't have to. It's just relative. 100 is easier for humans to reason about. And uh, this thing is different here. We're actually defining a, a health check at this point. And the reason is that Further down this flow, there's only the endpoint, and this endpoint is a VPN server, so it's it's an external endpoint that doesn't come with its own health check in AWS. So you have to create a health check for it. <coughs> and when the health check is unhealthy, effectively the weight goes to zero. So this item is taken out of the set, but the weights are still in effect for every other item. And finally, endpoint itself in this case is simply an IP address to the server. So benefits, they could account for different size hosts, which means that lower capacity devices are not overloaded, and this improved the amount of available bandwidth per user in VPN as well, which is great. For health checking, the, the benefit that's, that's brought is, is uh, quite important, too, because in the past, a user would just get an error, and they would have to retry, they would have to choose a, a different choice. Now they just get connected to VPN. And the rule will actually also direct users to the closest healthy, uh, like I mentioned before. So when they try to establish a connection, They will get one, it may not be the best one if the best one is down, but they will get one. And again, you have to manage your own health if it's a hybrid scenario. So uh, let's take a deeper look at failover for a minute, since I mentioned how important it is. Route 53 health checks provide a predictable failover window. And by window, I mean the time between a failure and the actual shift of traffic away from that endpoint. So the window is, has several components to it. First is the, the detection piece. is based on the interval. This is configurable. So you currently you can choose either 30 or 10 seconds. So every 10 seconds there will be a health check from each of the locations that we health check from. Times the failure threshold how many consecutive failures you're willing to see before you consider that endpoint down. The minimum is one. <coughs> then there's, there's a bit of just system overhead for aggregation time. We typically check from 16 different locations in the world, so there's, there's a bit of aggregation. And finally and importantly, the biggest component Typically, is the record TTL, and 60 seconds is typical for the dynamic domain names. You can go lower. DNS resolvers don't always respect it. You get to a minimum of about 70 to 90 seconds, depending, obviously, on the interval. And it's not exact because, like I said, health checking is done from multiple locations, and then those locations end up voting between themselves to decide if the outcome is healthy or not, so a little fuzzy. And we talked about the failover window, but another thing to consider is that you can avoid it altogether. If you have planned downtime, then it's a better idea to actually let traffic drain, and that way you, first of all, avoid the window, and secondly, you don't have to deal with those non-conforming DNS resolvers that may not be respecting the TTL and they keep hitting the server that's down for much longer than you wanted them to. And the steps to that would be, first, you update the policy record, remove that endpoint from DNS, either wait it out or remove it, depending on what you want to do. Uh, obviously, apply the, the new version. Then wait for the server request metric to go down to the level that you're comfortable with, and this will be a server-specific metric that is at the application level. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you can deactivate the server. And one thing you may have noticed if you were paying attention to the case study is that with all this talk of availability, we actually created a bit of a circular dependency so a reminder that when de- designing for high availability don't forget a way to break out of the cycle which the vpn team did because the the client there is a way for it to completely bypass route 53 so route 53 operators can can go and connect in a direct way if they have to and last but not least there is a benefit of easier ongoing management. So, management that you, capabilities that you get with traffic flow are such that you could see the, the versions. Versions themselves are immutable. You always create a new version when you add it. So, there's always a history. And you can tell quickly which version is actually currently applied. You can roll back or roll forward atomically to any other different version. And for the VPN team, this streamlined their scaling, their maintenance planning and execution, and perhaps more importantly, eliminated downtime for maintenance. Users don't see impact when something happens to the servers or servers come in or out. So thanks for listening. As I mentioned, there are other related talks that uh, will actually tell you about the LB and so forth. Uh, if you have a minute, take this simple survey and then find us in our booth and get a t-shirt. We would appreciate that. And uh, with that, we have time for questions. Thanks again.